Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. I know I've talked about it on here on the podcast before, and I know I've had other nutritionists and dietitians on here before, but all that being said, I do not think there can be enough discussion about food, nutrition, or why diets do not work ever, anywhere, including on the show. Not when there continues to exist so many ads, influencers, commentary, and social media posts laden with toxic diet culture messages. There is still so much confusion out there about what to eat, about health, about weight. And, you know, I hear things every day that make me just want to jump on this mic and literally scream into it. People ask me all the time why I do this podcast. And I know I've said it on here before. So if you've heard my podcast, just indulge me for a minute. I'll reiterate it. It's simply because I want to try and spread awareness about eating disorders and body image and to try to do whatever I can to get the correct information heard about food, diet, nutrition, and if at all possible, help someone out there who's listening to not feel so alone in their struggles, to try to help someone out there to not feel that they're so alone and that there's hope for them to get out there from under their struggles and pain and to reach out for help because you can recover, you can get better. And you know what? I don't make any money from doing this. And if anything, it's the exact opposite. But what I do get is the ability to try to make a difference. And I get to meet amazing people who come on here who have the same mission as me, people who are out there trying to make a difference and who are out there helping people. Um, People like the amazing guest who's here today. And after you hear what she's here to say, you're going to walk away with so much helpful, practical information that's really going to have a positive impact on your life. I truly believe that. Or, you know, okay, fine. My hope is that at least you get to start thinking about some of the things you do on a daily basis in a different way that will one day eventually lead to some positive changes in your life. As a registered dietitian, Lauren Dorman is a nutrition therapist who has over 20 years of experience working alongside children and adults who are struggling with body image and self-esteem. Lauren is the owner of a company, Don't Diet Dietitian, through which she offers both individual and group counseling. In addition, she enjoys speaking regularly at schools and developed the Students Don't Diet program. Lauren's mission is to improve clients' mental, physical, and emotional well-being. She believes that everyone deserves to have access to a registered dietitian, an expert in nutrition science who can help navigate nutrition misinformation, teach sustainable health habits, and focus on a self-care behavioral approach toward healing one's relationship with food, mind, and body. All that being said, I'm excited to bring Lauren onto the show. All right. Well, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, you know, I'm always interested to know how people kind of got into the space in their careers or where they're at right now. So I'm wondering, would you mind sharing a little with the audience about like, how did you get here right now? Sure. 
So um, how did I get here? Well, 21 years ago, um, actually, no, when I was 11 years old, let's go back to that. So I was 11 years old and I used to love reading like all the magazines and the recipes and the nutrition section and, you know, in the teen magazines. And I was just fascinated with nutrition and health from a young age. And I knew that I wanted to make people healthy. Like that's all that I knew at that age is just make them feel good and healthy, which is now I'm still doing that today, which is wonderful, but in a different way than I thought I would do it. So I went to college for nutrition and um, received, um, you know, took my exam to become a registered dietitian. And I would say the first 10 to 15 years was really information giving, um, education. Uh, I did work on the floors for a couple of years and then I worked in a diabetes center. Uh, but I never really focused on the mental or emotional aspects of health and well-being and nutrition. It was, it was, uh, just that education piece, which, which is what I was taught in school and moving forward, uh, Five years ago, I shifted my approach after reading the intuitive eating book and realizing that my approach of information giving and education wasn't really pushing people to behavior change the way that I thought it should or it could be. And then once I started helping those people with more of a behavior change approach to nutrition and the underlying layers and the root cause of their eating behaviors and why they're not able to move forward. I was seeing big, small and big shifts in a lot of aspects of their life and things that they even were surprised about that they were able to do. So that's when I said that I would never go back to the other way because this is the best approach to someone's health and well-being. And I started Don't Diet Dietitian October of 2020. And um, yeah, so about two two years now, three years now. Yeah. So like, I have a lot of things going on in my head, right? Yeah, so, sure. You know, I, I have the sense that a lot of people would go to you, maybe I'm wrong, but to the what to eat, right? Instead of the why am I eating what I'm eating or mm-hmm. the how am I eating kind of part. And it sounds like you had this transition because a lot of the people that come work with me are thinking at least in their own minds right like oh I know what to eat right because out there in the mm-hmm. world <laughs> there's all the knowledge right of social sure. media tells people what's good and what's not good and all this other stuff which you know I uh, can go off on that um but I'm wondering if people came to you with these lists of and, and knowledge of like oh I know what to eat but I want you to tell me like <laughs> give me a plan or give me a quote-unquote diet I'm wondering like how did people first come into your office? Are you saying like um, even 10, 15 years ago when I was yeah. at the center? Yeah, for sure. And that's what I was doing. I was giving them, I was gi- giving them goals and intentions and I was giving them a sample meal plan guidance. Um, you know, for some people it did work. I mean, I would say like 5%, right? Mm-hmm. What I mean by work is that they were able to follow through with the behaviors and change some of their eating habits. But the majority, um, you know, weren't able to do that. Now I know it's because 
basically when you, you could want to do something, but your nervous system and your wiring and your programming and your subconscious beliefs might hold you back from actually moving forward in your life. And that's a lot of work on your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions and what's really going on behind those, the reasons that you feel stuck with not moving forward. Uh, Because anybody can have a plan Mm -hmm. in front of them. (laughs) But is that, there's my three favorite words, is that realistic, sustainable, or flexible? (laughs) And also, like, do you feel confident and joyful and comfortable? Like, following that, you know, these are things to think about. And most women would probably say that it's a short-term thing Mm -hmm. and it's not for long-term and they might feel like safe or comfortable doing it short-term. But the reality is the more short-term things we do over time is harming our health and stressing out our bodies. So, yeah. So when someone's listening, saying, well, how does that stress out my body if you're giving me a plan that's supposedly like sound nutritionally, right? Yeah, that's a good answer. I mean, a good question, right? Because really, it's stressing out your body if you're constantly having to think about the food that you're eating and you're having to measure or weigh or portion or, um, you know, food prep constantly. It depends on your, you know, you might have a positive relationship with it. Again, everybody's different, right? Mm -hmm. So some women may really feel great emotionally, physically, mentally doing some of the things I just discussed. But if you're finding that you have low mood, low energy, easily distracted, fatigued, really poor decision-making and you're not making helpful decisions, easily frustrated or irritated, that's now affecting your emotional and mental health, your relationship with that plan or that, you know, the guideline, because that plan also doesn't know what your body needs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like if your plan says to have two eggs in the morning and a salad at lunch and, you know, sweet potatoes and and uh, steak at dinner, you know, that's not enough for what your body is asking for. Mm -hmm. Not enough energy from carbohydrates, not enough variety or balance. And your whole nervous system can't function when you're not giving your body the correct energy and nourishment throughout the day. And you're going hours without eating and then you're binging and then you're restricting or, or you're just restricting or you're just binge. You know, there's just There's not that regular, normal flow of eating and that there might be some women right now that feel, you know, uh, a sense of anxiety around food and their body and their thoughts. So can I give you some example of some thoughts that some women have shared with me? Yes. And I have a feeling some people listening are going to relate to these. So please do. Okay. So um, the first thought is, I am being so bad for eating this, mm-hmm. right? So do we, are we bad? Did we do something? Did we steal something from a store? Did we cheat on an exam? No, we're not bad for eating a food. Food is, you know, necessary need in our life, just like air and shelter and sleep, right? The basic needs. Um, another thought could be, why don't I have willpower or discipline? Mm-hmm. And that I don't like those words. 
at all because they actually create stuckness. They create a start, stop, uh, stuck cycle because you're making, you're, you're, you're creating a story and a belief that this is who you are and you're just, you know, unmotivated and you're lazy and you don't have willpower. That's not who you really are. You don't have to listen to those thoughts. (laughs) So, you know, that, that's very important for women to understand is that you can make helpful decisions, but you might feel that you don't have willpower because you didn't eat enough that day. Mm. Right. Just like going back to just what I said with that amount of food, you are going to feel ravenous and that's not because of willpower discipline. That's because your body's like, I need to be fed regularly. And what are you doing to me? Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing, some women feel what's wrong with me. Uh, Why am I always hungry? Why am I always thinking about food? I feel like a failure. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever failed. Um, I do a lot of forgiveness with my clients, right? We have to forgive for where society led us Mm -hmm. to where you are at this point in your life, society and culture, families, uh, friends. That was the only option to go on diets or to try to find some quick fixes, but you can forgive yourself and say, that's, I was led in the wrong direction. And now I'm in in a positive new direction in my life. Um, and then some people might even feel addicted to certain foods. And in my experience, the women that have worked with me over three to six month period have realized that it was because they had, they had the thoughts of, I shouldn't, I'm bad. The the food was put on a pedestal. So it was almost like sparkling or glistening to them. Mm-hmm. And not only that, they also were undernourished from not eating enough and restricting. So of course they're going to feel more cravings and addiction around certain foods. So a lot of women will say like, food is not a big deal anymore. Like I have some, you know, not less nutrient dense foods. Again, we don't call it bad or good or unhealthy. Just, I had some chocolate and I moved on. I had some chips and I moved on. It wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing when like food's not such a big deal to women who felt, in, and then that's health because then your body is just more regulated. <laughs> I love that you said that because, you know, there's so much, you know, it's called like the food diet that has the 15 minutes of fame, right? Like I get so many people arguing with me saying like intermittent fasting is so healthy and it's so good for the body and it helps you live longer. And I'm listening to you and like going, can you please discuss this? Cause you're, I mean, as you're talking, right? It's like the body needs consistent fuel and like energy. And that is so counter to what you're saying. And I'm going, well, why is this such a big thing right now? That's like touted as like, the thing that's going to, it's the panacea for everything. And people are like praising it. Yeah. And you know, intermittent fasting, like we're, we're basically telling you to starve. Like we live in like, you know, an amazing country that like, with, like with wealth and, you know, it's, it's just like, we don't, we're starving ourselves in, and we're not living in a third world country. <laughs> and if you think of it in that way, it's like, like really, really think of it. It's like, wow. It's a lot of it is brainwashing, programming. Um, people may feel good fasting. I mean, that just they may, but it might just be more of like that mental, like I'm 
they're coping with their life in a, in a way that's not helpful by saying, oh, I'm fasting. And I, and they read something that said that it was, and listen, there are articles out there that will support fasting. I'm sure there's many. There's also a lot that will support not fasting. So this is my advice. If you are fasting and you feel incredible and you have good energy and you have a great mood and you're, you know, um, you're compassionate to people and you're not frustrated, like if you really are in a good mental, emotional place and you're fasting for some periods, then it works for you. And if your physical health is great. But like I spoke about before, if you're having those side effects, you may reconsider fasting and nourish your body regularly. So, you know, everyone knows their own bodies the, the best and listening to your body more than listening to your mind, <laughs> getting into the body and, and less out of, and, and, you know, not staying in your head so much and actually sitting there and thinking like, am I feeling ravenous hunger and I'm fasting right now? Like that's not, that's not health. No. And I think I loved what you said before about flexibility, right? Like there's no flexibility with that. There's very rigid rules. And, you know, from my perspective, psychologically, I'm just thinking like, you know, when people are saying, I can't, if there's such rigid rules, like I can't do this because this external, whatever diet guru, whatever says, or program, whatever you want to call it says, I cannot do this. You're, you are no longer in control of your life, right? This other thing, this other entity is like, you can't just you know, if you're offered a cookie or an anything like in those off hours, nope, I can't, you know, it's like now you've lost control of your life. You've lost choice. There's no flexibility. Let's say you, you know, go on a vacation. Like, what do you do? Is this, like you said, sustainable. I love that you have these, mm-hmm. these things you said, sustainable, flexible, right? Yeah. Um, and I also wonder too, like, aren't you fasting all night when you're sleeping? <laughs> Not long well, that, that's when you're yes that actually that's when you're supposed to fast and then breakfast is break fast right <laughs> but you know it's it's just it's the culture that we live in and I think also sometimes some people like the rigidity in a rule because it makes them feel safe and you know that as a therapist so mm-hmm. it makes them feel that they have some type of a control or safety feeling in a very uncontrolled situation, possibly in the environment that they're living in, in their life. But in reality, it's not serving them and it's not helpful. And there's other coping mechanisms that they can, you know, there's hundreds of coping mechanisms that they can do that does not uh, have to include your food behavior, you know, being unhelpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but if someone is listening to this and fasting and feels great, then again, that works for them. But I'm telling you right now, in my experience, 95% of people, it, it's a short term. And that's not, they're not able to do it for, for long because your body wants to be fed regularly throughout the day, every three to four hours, you know, and if you're not doing that, you will have those side effects. And you will start thinking about food and you'll start having a headache and you'll start, um, you know, with the fatigue and the loss of uh, focus and concentration. Brain fog is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just like that freeze response, like you just procrastinating and freezing and you just don't want to do anything and you just, you know, you might just want to sleep. 
Yeah, maybe people are just so used to existing like that. They don't realize like that's been their existence for so long. And they just like, yeah, this is normal. So maybe you're just even mentioning those things Mm -hmm. like, hmm. I've had women that tell me they they feel like they were sleeping through life and now they're actually living life. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're actually finally feeling feelings and living their true mm-hmm. they're being their true self. They have more more self-worth and more and less self-doubt. They're trusting themselves more because the world doesn't teach us how to trust ourselves or how to cope with things in helpful ways. So that's where your tools and my tools come in with our clients to support them and guide them. Yeah. And I, I love that you call yourself the no diet dietitian. Like I love yeah. that. And I'm wondering if um, people are taking to that well, or, or they're kind of like, no, I want something, give me something or kind of they, or even if they argue with you, like no diets work or like, I'm just wondering about that. No, I, I think that, um, I mean, it's 2023. I think a lot of people by now know that diets don't work, but a lot of people don't want to believe it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it's hard to believe that diets don't work, but the reality is, is that the number one cause of dieting, the number one effect is actually weight rebound, you know, stress, anxiety. Um, you know, it's 70% of our body size is genetic. So we're basically lied to from these programs and companies that focus solely on weight loss. So what I do is I focus on a process, a journey, a framework, a day-to-day. When you focus less on an outcome or that long-term goal, you become less overwhelmed in your life and you take things step-by-step and you only work on like one or three things at a time, or maybe just one, you know, one thing for a few weeks and then another thing for a few weeks. I think these diets have people working on, you know, 20 things at once and it's way too overwhelming and it's not, um, not what your body wants, right? Our physiology and our psychology needs that variety of all foods. I'm wondering, you know, I know you started working more with like younger folk too, not just like adults yeah, and, and yeah. with students and kind of going into schools, which I think is so needed, right? So I'm wondering what you see, if anything, that's different with students, like younger kids. Um, like, where do you start to see the dysfunction or like their relationship with food start to become more dysfunctional? Yeah, I mean, it can, it could start as young as five. Um, I, you know, parents will tell me that my child is saying that they're fat what do I say? Right. And instead of saying what I would not recommend saying is you're not fat, you're beautiful because what you're doing is you're making fat, something that's not beautiful and something that's bad when you say that. So the best advice I would give to a parent. And again, like a child could really be any body size saying, I feel fat. It's really, it's an, it's an emotion underneath that, or it's a comparison or it's looking at you know, um, other girls her age and say, and looking at her belly and thinking that it's bigger, you know, the best thing for a parent to say is we all have fat on our bodies. Some people have more, some people have less and you are worthy and I love you and you're beautiful and you are allowed to take up space. Mm -hmm. 
And if every parent did that, more children would feel self-worth and self-confidence. And believe it or not, that confidence creates healthy habits and creates, you know, helpful choices and decisions in their life, regardless of nutrition or other choices in their life of when they feel good, Mm -hmm. they make better choices. So that self-esteem. Um, but I did a, I did a survey with high schoolers and I wanted to know which myth they thought was true. I'm going to read you some of the myths. Okay. Okay. So eat low carb, low calorie is best. Mm. Eat clean and organic. Skip breakfast. Do not eat late at night. Uh, intermittent fasting. Like we talked about no desserts allowed. Skinny equals healthy, intense exercise regimen is needed, and avoid certain foods. So which, do you, if you remember some of them, do you think the high schoolers thought the most, you know, which, what do you think? Oh, then equals healthy or no carbs. It was actually do not eat late at night. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. And the next one was avoid certain foods. Okay. So the do not eat late at night, I would say to the students that I met with, I said, would your mom or dad say you can't drink water at night? <laughs> would your mom or dad say you can't have a sweatshirt or a blanket if you're cold? Would your mom or dad say you cannot go to the bathroom at night? So if you're feeling a sensation of hunger and they're saying you can't eat late at night, that's not trust and that's not health, you know? It depends on their their schedule of their meals and snacks during that day or wherever their hunger is. Let's trust hunger and nourish the body when it's hungry. But there's so much, like even if you Google do not eat late at night, it's, it actually says a team of experts agree. Um, and health teachers um, may also give, and I actually educate health teachers as well. Um, unintentionally, they give advice that is is through diet, culture, and social you know, mm-hmm. society, but there was one boy that, that told me, I think he was about 18. He said, Oh yeah. In my sophomore health class, they said, don't eat late at night. And it's like, are all these kids walking around the rest of their lives thinking I shouldn't eat late at night. And that's not the truth. Nothing is going, bad is going to happen to you. If you eat late at night. Now, if you eat an amount that's not comfortable and you wake up and you feel sick and ill, that's a different story. But if you eat an amount that's satisfying and you Go move on, go to sleep. You actually could sleep better than if you went to bed hungry, for sure. We'll see. Now, Lauren, I always laughed at that one because, like, my whole family's from Italy, right? And, like, we always grew up eating at like 10 o'clock at night for dinner. Like, and I was there last summer and we were, we were in line for dinner at like 10, 11 at night. I'm going, this makes no sense. The whole country's eating late. Like, what? And I actually did ask a few experts and they said, well, you know where it came from is somebody at some point in time, like figured out that like, if you ate late at night, you just hadn't like gone to the bathroom yet. So maybe if you're somebody with disordered eating and you weigh yourself every morning, maybe you're, maybe that had an effect on the scale because you just hadn't gone yet. (laughs) They made this thing up. Right. And I was laughing. I'm like, yeah, that, that, okay. Maybe. Do they have naps there too? (laughs) They, right, oh, they take I off the they they close, you know, down for yeah meal the day. It's very nice, right? I love that. Yeah, um, it's a whole, I mean, nice it also could this. be like maybe they just are a little bit more like slow down there and mindful, and they just 
you know, they might have a little bit of a later breakfast and a later lunch, and then they have a later dinner. I mean, whatever works schedule wise, maybe they are intuitive eaters just listening to their body and they weren't hungry at, you know, seven or eight because they had a three o'clock lunch or something. I have no idea, but that, that goes to show you And Italy is a very healthy country, you know, that, that health is not about eating late at night or not. Now, you know, again, going back to knowing your own body, if you know, I, if someone's listening and they know when I eat at nine or 10 o'clock, I don't feel good. I wake up and I don't feel good. Or I go to bed and I don't feel good. That's different, right? Because mm-hmm. we also want to respect how you feel, but if you're hungry or if you're ravenous, then yes, you might not feel good because you're, it's really difficult to stop when you're satisfied, when you go mm-hmm. from the ravenous. So I do discuss hunger fullness scale in detail with a lot of my clients. And, you know, when you can get to a point where you understand, I want to feel comfortably hungry when I sit down for a meal so that I could feel comfortably satisfied when I leave. Now, there are some messaging that we got when we were children that we have to finish our plate. Mm -hmm. So what if we were eating and we felt great and satisfied and a parent said, wait a second. You have to finish the rest of that. Where do you think you're going? What do you think that's teaching that child for their life? Like life skills of, you know, tuning into their body. They're not, right? They're saying, when you leave a table, you have to feel stuffed and full and not good. <laughs> right? But they didn't know that. So they didn't know better. They couldn't do better, right? We know so much more now. Hopefully. Yeah, but I mean, also too, you know, like, I heard so many people come in my office like, oh, I had to eat to earn my, you know, dessert or the what I really wanted later, right? These other kind of foods. So it set up the there's certain kinds of foods that, you know, categorically dessert foods, right? But I had to eat my vegetables, the quote unquote good foods first. So it was like by the time they got to dessert, they weren't probably hungry. You know what's interesting too? Those children, they're not even really enjoying the nutrient dense foods like the flavors and the textures and the smell of like as an example, like broccoli or um, cauliflower, carrots, zucchini, green beans, like they might not actually be enjoying the flavors and textures because they're so excited about, oh, I just have to get through this to get the the reward, mm-hmm. you know, and I hope that many parents are learning now to put the cookie or the M&M or the chips or whatever it is, chocolate next to their dinner, if they feel comfortable, right? That's everyone's, um, that's up to the, the parents that I work with, but, um, you know, and they can do it every night. They could do it twice a week. They could, whatever they, mm-hmm. you know, it could kind of flow, but you're literally putting a cookie next to broccoli and chicken and sweet potato, whatever you're having. I keep saying sweet potato or, you know, rice, pasta, potato. Um, and you have, and that child is growing up with no moral value of food. I'm not good or bad. Food is not healthy or unhealthy. Um, it's just food. And I can have an amount that makes me feel good and satisfied. And that'd be a beautiful world if everybody grew up like that. <laughs> and that's what we're here for to undo a lot of that damage of the thoughts around food. Yeah. I wonder if you get questions from parents because I'll talk about that too. Well, I'm so worried. All they're going to eat is the cookie and then they're not going to have any nutrition and, you know, like this fear. And it's like, to your point though, if that's how they grew up and they always see it, like, 
why would they do that? Like, but I wonder if you get those yeah, questions. Like, I mean, there's all this fear of like, I'm going to do such a bad thing for my kids. And, you know, yeah, there definitely is. I have to calm them down and reframe, you know, they have to reframe their thoughts and they have to say, like, as long as my child is getting a variety over weeks and months, they are doing okay. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be a couple of days of a lot of less nutrient foods. There might be a couple of days of more nutrient foods. And then, you know, it all balances out in the end. But it it helps calm the parents when I can let and, and adults when I let them know that it's not about the day to day, it's about the over weeks and months. Mm-hmm. So take a deep breath and just know that if your child had a donut for breakfast and you know, chicken nuggets for lunch and pizza for dinner, that they're not doomed for poor health, right? You can also add if the child would like. You know, you can add scrambled eggs with the donut or you could add apples or grapes with the pizza or cucumbers or green beans. Or you could add with the chicken nuggets, um, cut up carrots and some chickpeas. I'm, you know, just as examples that really focus on what you can add instead of what you need to take away. I say like mm-hmm. adding instead of subtracting is really important. And it, it also calms parents. And that's what I do with my children a lot. But I don't talk about it. I'm, I place it I place it on the table and it's there. I don't say like, here's the green beans. Here's the grapes. These are good for you. And these are healthy. And this, no, there's no talk. There's just, this is what's presented. Make it simple and easy. And if your child eats something that you didn't think they would eat, try to stay calm. I mean, you can go in the other room and scream for joy if you're so excited about it, but just keep it really calm and neutral because that's also pressure. Mm-hmm. So pressure to eat the food, but then also pressure if you do like it. Oh my God, that's amazing. And I made, I've made that mistake. I mean, my kids are 11 and 14 now. So when they were, I mean, maybe I only made it my, the mistake with my son, but I don't remember, but I definitely, there was a time where I did make that mistake when I wasn't, you know, prior to five, seven years ago, Mm -hmm. because it's just, that's what we're taught to do. (laughs) If you don't know another way, if you don't read the research or understand the psychology and childhood nutrition, Mm -hmm. you might never do it the way that's the most helpful for for your children. Well, I think it'd be hard too. It's it's so confusing. There's so much noise out there. Like, how do you even know? And I think I love having you on here because like you're talking, you know, about what really practical things parents can know and do. And because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you go online or you even go to like a medical doctor, pediatrician who didn't have any classes in nutrition or (laughs) anything like, how are they going to know? Right. Um, It's, it's awful. There's not a lot of education out there. So, you know, there's, we need more of you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, think, well, I like to use the word complex, right? Nutrition is complex and feeding behaviors and, you know, your behavior around food is complex as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think that a lot of the kids pick up on the parents' anxiety around food too? I do. Um, I think also if there's an example is if there's a picky or selective eater, And if a parent unintentionally, of course, just says like, oh, you're so picky, like you won't eat anything. And that's like, that's valid. Like I, I get it. If your child, if you're making a dinner and you spent 
30 minutes preparing and your child's not eating it, it's frustrating and it's, it's upsetting, right? Yeah. But if we use those words and that language around them, it creates that reality for that child. Oh, I guess that's who I am. I'm a picky eater and that's just who I am. So you're not saying you don't like that yet, or you can try it when you're ready. There's all these little um, language things that parents can work on that I work on with them to create a really empowering relationship Mm. around the food. And again, it might take months or years, right? Mm. They might have a seven or eight-year-old that they're dealing. Actually, I'm working with a a mom of twin eight-year-olds. Uh, that I just started with, she's really excited about utilizing the techniques. She said, um, you know, it might, oh, I said that we're, we're teaching for long-term feeders here. We're not teaching for short-term. So in the next weeks or months ahead, you may not see actual results, but by the time your child's in high school and college, they will, they will have more variety in their eating because of the way that you shifted and your language and the way that you provided the variety. So it's a beautiful thing to see as, you know, six months, 12 months, a year, people do end up seeing little small wins, but you have to be patient. That's so <laughs> that's hard sometimes. Always... Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's hard sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, very hard, but we have to, we have to practice it. So do you do more like, like programming um I guess like online programs in school programs or do you do more like one-on-one with individuals and families like yeah so um I do one-on-one and which is um with usually families or with women okay I do see some men as well um, majority are women. And then I see, uh, I have a class series. It's a five week class program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's called the, um, the, I discover classes. So you're basically like discovering the difference of, of not dieting and understanding how to, you know, create true well being and, and empowerment and overcoming, you know, your limiting beliefs. And a lot of that goes into those classes. And, um, I do actually have a master class as well coming up the end of the month and it's how to create lasting change for good. So mm-hmm. it's a lot, a lot of um, thought, the mind and how our brain works and the root of our food behaviors. And the class might help more than just your food behaviors. It might help a lot of aspects of someone's life if, it, if some of the skills are applied. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited about offering that as well. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks. I'm just thinking people listening probably go, oh gosh, I want to like find Lauren. I want to talk to Lauren. I need her help. Like, how can they find you? Sure. So um they could find me on Instagram. It's mm-hmm. pretty easy. It's just don't diet dietitian. And then they can find me on my website. It's my name, Lauren Dorman, and then RD for registered dietitian.com. So Lauren Dorman RD.com. And yeah, but you my website and Instagram, that's where you would find me. And you definitely could send me a DM or, um, you know, send me a message through the, through the website. Okay. And so if somebody has like a, a, 
a minor, a teenager, younger person, do you only work with the parents and the child or would you work directly with their child? Typically from age 13 up, it's the child alone without the parent. And then sometimes the parent will come at the end of whether it's in person or, or virtual. Um, I do see some in person in my area and, um, the, during the zoom, if the parent wants, um, you know, an email of a summary or they want to come on the end of the zoom for five minutes or so, but I think it's important for the teenagers 13 and up to have some quality space time to be heard and seen with, with me alone. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel the same also? Um, yes, I I think they need to have a space and to feel safe, you know, if there's obviously with my profession, right. If there's areas of danger, then, you know, that's a whole different ball game. But, um, so, but yeah, I think there's a a place where they need to kind of feel like they're able to emote and feel safe that they're not going to be quote unquote pulled on or whatnot. So of course. Yeah. Well, fantastic. So anyone you want to reach out to Lauren, go find her. She's fantastic. And Lauren, thank you so so much. Thank (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yes. Oh my gosh. Such great information. I really appreciate it. We need, like I said, we need to clone you. So. <laughs> oh, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm here to support many, many people in the years ahead. I can't wait. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.